we want to stand out today, we have to stand for something. But it's not just what we mean to ourselves, it's what we mean to those that we serve. That's why we have to start with our people. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy, happy new year. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and really had a chance to take some time off to relax and recharge. I know I did, and I'm so excited now for 2022, and I could really feel it in my bones that it's just going to be a really great year. And um, I'm happy to announce I'm in recovery from my broken wrist, and I've been doing really well in occupational hand therapy, so I'm finally able to type normally and do some basic chores uh, that... um, I couldn't do for for quite some time, so I feel really, really great. I'm also very much looking forward to seeing what the year will bring to our B2B community, and of course, I'm so stoked to see everyone in Scottsdale next month for B2B MX. Um, Today's episode is another replay from the B2B sales and marketing exchange that we had last August, Um, and it's actually my favorite keynote from the event, so you're in for a really, really great treat. It was the first time I actually heard Nick Westergaard of Marketing Profs speak, and he truly did not disappoint. I was like, totally blown away by his energy and the takeaways were endless. So it's it's really a, a great topic, I think, because in 2021, the topic of balancing brand and demand, it, it came up a lot, honestly, at least in the conversations I was having. Um, the rules of brand building really have changed, right? And, and Nick... Ka- like kind of just use this talk to educate the audience on the seven brand now dynamics and how companies of all sizes and industries can build a standout brand that actually improves demand generation efforts. So he even shares uh, some really awesome examples from companies like IBM and Salesforce. So there are really, you know, like take your notebooks out and take some notes because this is a really awesome session. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And with that said, let's roll the tape in three, two, one. Hello, everybody. It's an excited group here to talk about branding. Branding! Yes! Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Quick show of hands, who thinks that branding is a pretty important thing? All right, hands back down. Now, put your hands up if you have invested significant resources in branding for the year ahead. Some of the hands up to the side. Look at the person that you came with, are we? So we don't know. We generally recognize that branding is an important thing, but we don't know the specifics about what it is we should do with it. It's not as fun as these shiny new things that we see right here in front of us. New social networks, new forms of content, new forms of content on new social networks. And I can say this because I have been this person. I spent years at the University of Iowa comfortably teaching social media marketing when all of a sudden I was asked 
by one of my colleagues if I would take over his branding courses for him for the year while he was on sabbatical. And I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say about branding for that much time. I, uh, you know, I did what all brave people would do and promptly avoided the problem by going to Costco with my then two-and-a-half-year-old son. Quick aside, Costco is perfect for kids. All of the products are basically inside big iron cages. It's impossible for them to knock anything down. They've got free snacks along the way that you can strategically feed into their mouths, as you can see in my son's mouth on screen. Now, mouth debris aside, at this point in his young life, he didn't have that many words in his vocabulary, so I was surprised when, apropos of nothing, he all of a sudden says, coffee. Looking around, my first thought is the parent of five kids is where? But second, we weren't in the coffee aisle. I was trying to investigate this to see where he was getting this. And then, all of a sudden, I saw the end cap. And it featured those shipping container-sized boxes of Starbucks K-Cups that they have at Costco. He'd seen the mermaid and knew, because he's the youngest of five and tags along with my wife and I everywhere, that when you see the mermaid, we say coffee, he usually gets a treat, whether it's in a standalone store or a store of its own. So it occurred to me that if this category leader can imprint upon a two-and-a-half-year-old, maybe there is more that we can say about branding today. But we need a better definition. We need better tools. Now, I'm from the Midwest, and when you say branding tools, you usually think of something like this. Now, that's not necessarily how it works. I like to pivot to inner brands four stages, four ages of branding. And the first one is, yes, it's the cow burning thing. But moreover, beyond sorting cattle, this really took hold with the Industrial Revolution, when all of a sudden it was important to mark these products from those products. This is your sugar water, that is my Coca-Cola. And this held for most of the 20th century till the financial heyday of the 80s. Mergers, acquisitions, brands buying brands. It was important that IBM meant something beyond just international business machines. Now, Steve Jobs turned a lot of heads at Apple when he returned, but one of the biggest head turns came from the fact that he said we would go to these places called Apple stores. And I, for one, thought, thank you, no, I'm fine going to Comp USA, thank you very much. Now we can't imagine not going into an Apple store. And now these experiences are built around you which is why your Amazon homepage looks different from mine, why they look different on mobile versus desktop. And speaking of online sites and the impact on branding, 90% say uh, of online customers trust peer reviews versus the 33% that trust advertising. So we could look at this and we could say, okay, well, this pretty much makes the case that branding is, is dead on arrival. And I would say that traditional brand advertising is, but brand building 
is still important. We see that 90% say that brand equity has the greatest impact on preference and loyalty. And 42% of the Interbrand 100 are now B2B brands like IBM and Oracle. And all these new shiny things, these fun digital tools, actually give B2B marketers the power to scale what's always been the gold coin of our business, that being word of mouth. But at the same time that it's easier than ever for us to communicate, there's been a 21% drop in the people who say that they understand brands. Why is this happening? It's because our brands aren't moving from person to person, from community to community. Now, if this professor could sneak across the street from the marketing department over to the physics department, I would borrow the definition of a dynamic, which is a force that stimulates change or progress within a system or process. So I want to use that to introduce you to seven brand now dynamics to help you at this inflection point that we're in with these new and exciting tools, the importance that branding still holds today. We will have B2B examples along the way, but there's also a few others sprinkled in there that are too good not to share. And that's one of my favorite lessons to impart, though somewhat, sometimes I have some reluctant listeners because the technology is moving so fast that we have to remember to see ideas everywhere. From our friends on the consumer side of things, education, government, yes, I even have a government example in here, and it's something that we can learn something from. So by now, you may have noticed that I talk fast, I click fast, and you may be thinking, ooh, I just missed that stat that he had up. Fear not, because you can find all of this at nickwestergaard.com forward slash slides. That's my first name and my last name, dot com forward slash slides, with an extra A in there because Denmark. As we progress through the Brand Now Dynamics, we start off with meaning. So usually when I'm at an event like this and I head off stage, I'm usually met by someone with a great big smile on their face and they say, we've just rebranded. And they rock back confidently and they say, yep, we just redid our whole logo. conversation. How can I get out of it? Uh, where did you get that brownie? Is something that I'm fond of pivoting to. So if you see me later with a brownie, you'll know what's happened. Somewhat confounding this little tell of mine is the fact that I also love brownies, so it could just be that. But if we get past this common stereotype of brand as logo and go back to the definition, logos, which is Greek for the logic behind an argument, we start to get closer to where our focus should be. Psychologist Viktor Frankl defined the practice of logotherapy as man's search for meaning, noting that we, as humans, are meaning-making machines. We see things and we have to know what they mean, what their story is. So that's what we need to do as brands. If we want to stand out today, we have to stand for something. But it's not just what 
we mean to ourselves, it's what we mean to those that we serve. That's why we have to start with our people. Now, this is another fun B2B aside because I often pivot to this very point when I'm showcasing examples and someone says, oh, that's great, but and it feels like a guilty admission that we're, we're a B2B brand. We could, we could never do anything quite like that, quite that fun. But this is one area specifically we know our people so much better. Why would you want to be? a B2C brand. We understand how they're wired, who they are. You compare that with a consumer brand that has a lot of cachet, something fun like Dollar Shave Club. Who is their customer? Males who shave? We know so much more. For example, FreshBooks is accounting software, but their accounting software not necessarily for accountants. They are for small business owners, freelancers, businesses with contractors. And this meaning is reflected in their copy. Focus on your clients, not your books. I was talking with the FreshBooks CMO, Paul Cowan, on my podcast, and he noted we wanted to understand the owner to solve their pain. And even though I bet a lot of the people at FreshBooks like accounting. It's, it's what they make, but that's not who they serve. And it's certainly not the pain of those that they serve either. So you have to appeal to the head and the heart of your customers, whether that's the head on curation, flexibility, safety, simplicity, timeliness. So when we look at FreshBooks, we see that they're appealing to simplicity. So aren't the people that want the great big heavy accounting features that something like a QuickBook has, QuickBooks has. This is a software for people that want to be done. So they can push the bookkeeping aside and have more time to spend doing what they want to do, which gets us over to the heart side of the ledger as well. So when it comes to meaning, it's important to ask yourself a big question that can sound simple, and that's what business are you really in? What are your products? What do you sell? What do you do? What do you mean to those that you serve? From meaning, we move on to structure. And here I'm going to parse words once again. So we talked about the different tools that we have with branding. And I want to get away from thinking of this just as branding because, yes, it's the cow-burning thing, but it's also something that's passive. It's something that's done to another party. I think a better way to look at this, a much more powerful visual, is thinking of this work as brand building because we are co-creating our brands together with those that we serve. And the structure that we have to focus on in this building is critical because just like that picture of the construction site that I just had up, we have to think about those great big girders that hold the brand up that help it stand up and stand out. Now, when we look at the different tools that we have as our disposal, of course, we have logo, slogan, business cards, product, packaging, website, advertising, direct mail, signage, all of this stuff. Branding gets real checklisty real fast. And I want to move away from checklists to the idea of dimmer switches. 
that all of these are different options. And where you can really stand out is to look for ways to turn some of these dimmer switches way up and others perhaps way down. An example of this. This is Megan Foster. She is a community outreach coordinator at the Domestic Violence Intervention Program. She is an educator at the University of Iowa. She is currently running to be my hometown of Coralville's first female mayor. She's also the mother of five kids, and if you haven't figured it out by now, she is my wife. We are both very busy people, so we look for some little treats we could give ourselves, fun ways to blow off steam. Being as busy as she is, she doesn't have the time to get out and shop, so she loves curation companies like Stitch Fix, like Trunk Club. One day, I was sitting working in my home office when all of a sudden I heard her cry out from the next room. I ran in there to see what was the problem, thought maybe there would be a fire that had broken out, and an animal, a small varmint that had made it in there, an intruder. And she was crouched on the floor, and I got close to her, and she turned around and she said, the trunk club box looks like a trunk. <sighs> After my heart started again, I realized that this is a great example of the dimmer switches being turned way up. Now, me, I'm a big fan of Allbirds. I'm not wearing them today, but they take something as simple as that confirmation email that you get that says, thank you for your order. Here is your tracking number. Please don't email us back, basically. Most. But they instead have a little bit of fun with this by saying comfort is coming, and they have a cute little gif of a sheep wrapping up the package, sending it off to you. Now, though this is a consumer example, it's also B2B and budget-friendly, standout writing, a little bit of design, doesn't cost anything, but can stand out because that confirmation is one of the most important, most outsized touch points in my experience with this brand. Now, on the B2B side of it, MailChimp gets this as well because on that all-too-important launch screen where you're sending something, what do you get at the end after it's gone out? You get a high five from the chimp itself. It's like they're sitting there as your co-pilot. And of course, you can also look for ways to turn dimmers down or even jump over to another Lightboard as well, in the form of showing up in unexpected places. For example, Constant Contact, who you wouldn't think of as being a brand on Pinterest, very consumer-focused platform, certainly not the design verticals that make this network their home, but they know that the creative entrepreneurs who are drawn to their service are there and share Monday motivation there. So ask yourself, what are your shipping boxes, your confirmation emails, these small touch points that are easy to forget, easy to gloss over, that have outsized importance to your customers? From here, we get to story. Story is powerful. 
As neuroscientist Antonio Damasio says, stories are the fundamental way in which the brain organizes information in a practical, memorable manner. And the science of story is fascinating because when we hear stories, amazing things happen in our brain. First of all, I've shared by now probably almost a dozen stats. And if you look at an fMRI of what's happening in the brain when you see a stent, great, new information, one little area. But when I start telling a story about my wife crying out from the next room, your brain lights up like a Christmas tree. It releases oxytocin, which is the, kind of the love hormone that helps us connect with one another because you all of a sudden feel empathy for me in this situation. Furthermore, you start to mirror emotions. I'm a little scared of what might happen here. Oh, good, it was a funny story. And because of this emotional, fun roller coaster, the brain finally releases a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which is kind of like the save button that says, yep, I like that, I want to remember that for later. So it's no surprise that we, as brand builders, can harness the power of story to help us transmit meaning. And when it comes to brand storytelling, there are three key elements that we have to keep in mind. The first is character. And this is something that we marketers get wrong a lot because we think, oh, brand story, great, I've got one of those. It's, uh, it's on the about page of our website. That, that's not it. Oh, well, this is our founder. How about he tells his story? That, that is not it either. Because your brand story is a story that your customer is the star of. It's not how you founded what your history was. Those are both important things, but that's not this. Great example of this was a few years ago, I flew into Logan Airport here and had travel brain making all sorts of bad food decisions. And I saw this wall-sized ad and I thought, awesome, Oreos, where? And I got closer and I realized this isn't an ad for Oreos at all. It's a bit of B2B marketing. It's an Accenture ad that is promoting their relationship with their client, Mondelez International, who is Oreo's parent company, and they did some great consulting work and helped them save a whole lot of money. Just a little sour because there were no cookies in it for me. But it's important to think about who your character is and also what they're struggling with. And we sort of get this wrong too because we're a little bit afraid to make our customers feel bad. Oh, I don't want to talk about what they're having trouble with. That, 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 that might make them upset. But it's these very struggles that are at the core of that brand story. And we see this with great B2B brands like Salesforce, who is on a quest to connect customers with their customer data. And the other cool thing that Salesforce has done is they've used a traditional storytelling structure. So you can find these and use these. These are the stories that we're used to hearing, that we see over and over again in pop culture, and you can bend them into brand storytelling examples as well. Overcoming the monster, rags to riches, the quest, voyage and return, or rebirth. 
So find the story that works for you and communicate it with your brand voice. Now, voice is a little bit interesting, especially when we think about B2B marketing. We think, oh boy, I've, I've got a real boring product. I'm not sure it's, 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 you know, who cares about our shipping software, about office supplies, about our garage door springs, or something as everyday as commonplace as underwear. What do you say about underwear? Cotton, oxers, briefs, you say a little bit more if you are Duluth Trading Company with their buck naked underwear, which promises no pinch, no stink, and a brand voice that isn't going to be confused with any other brand. And this is what Anne Handley, author of Everybody Writes, calls the logo test. If your logo or label was masked, would your customers know it's your content and not your competition's? You know, we have friends from Uberflip here. I love their brand voice guide. They talk about being cheeky, but not offensive. Accessible, but not fluffy. Progressive, but not aloof. And in my opinion, they get extra credit because they both say what their brand voice should strive towards, but also what it's not as well. So when it comes to story, ask yourself, What's your brand's core story? Remember, it's your customer's story. And how can you create a standout brand voice? A great hack for getting at brand voice is a little mental exercise. Imagine that money's not an object and you can hire anyone to do the voiceover narration in your brand's next video. Who would you cast? Who's perfect for that job? No, sadly, I don't have a blank check in my pocket that I can give to you, but you can take this individual, this actor, this athlete, this world leader, and start to extrapolate what traits they represent because those are probably the ones that were the reason why you selected them. So it can be useful in getting at your list, like that example that we saw from Uberflip. From story, we go to content. Now we've heard content is king, content rules. Content isn't all that new. I have to think that some of those cave people had to be making cave drawings that were trading other cave people for bigger, better clubs. Google's Eric Schmidt notes that every two days we create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization up until 2003. We see that, yeah, I heard a cheese out there. The other fun fact of that is, if, if you have trouble thinking about it that way, the internet basically doubles itself every couple of days. That's not disturbing and scary. 50% of B2B buyers say they're definitely more likely to buy from a brand once they've read their content. 80% of B2B marketers use content marketing. And 74% of those same marketers across sectors are producing more content year on year. And 50% of the content that we B2B marketers are creating is focused on brand awareness. But, you detect with all of these kind of surging stats, 
that there's another shoe that's about to drop, and that's the fact that according to this same data from the Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Profs, the problem is that most of us are diving in without any sort of recognizable content marketing strategy. Good content should be both brand-centric and customer-aware, back to that meaning that we were talking about earlier. We can't just dive in chasing after all of the shiny new things. For example, podcasting has had a renaissance in recent years, and many brands have been quick to dive in. HubSpot wasn't quick to dive in, but rather they noticed that of all the different forms of content that they create, blog posts, articles, infographics, lots of helpful info, for the in-the-trenches marketers that they were marketing to, there was another level. The decision maker who often had to sign off on what they were doing but wasn't spending time on their blog. So they needed to get in front of this individual somewhere else. As Dave Gerhardt of HubSpot noticed, we realized we had an additional audience that we weren't talking to with our blog. This audience is less likely to sit in front of the computer and read our blog, so a podcast is a great way to reach them while they're on the go. You have to be strategic, which is what they've done with The Growth Show, which targets that C-level executive with a message that's not about inbound marketing like everything else, but rather is about the broad category of growth and features guests like entrepreneurs and other business leaders. Good content also answers questions. Manpower, the staffing company, has a great series of blogs. They've got HR blogs, they've got employment law blogs, and all of them, as you can see here, answer key customer questions. How to boost employee motivation and morale through learning, which probably sounds like something that means a lot to who their people are. You also have to think about the levels of content that you're creating. You want to create content for skimmers, swimmers, and divers. And this makes me think of the CIA, Shark Week, and Julia Child. Let me explain. Yes, this is my government agency example, and yes, it is that CIA. They actually have a very engaging presence on social media. So whenever anybody says, that, well, I'm not sure we can, if the CIA can do it, but they, like many brands wanting to be a part of topical conversations, they wanted to be a part of Shark Week. So they found this lovely gift to share of Julia Child chopping up a shark. And it says, Julia Child and the OSS recipe for shark repellent. Awesome content for the skimmers. Retweet. Say you want to know a little bit more about that, you click through to an article, a look back, Julia Child, life before French cuisine. Because she actually worked for the OSS, which was a precursor to the CIA in World War II. And you can go even deeper for the divers and read about how she developed a recipe for shark repellent. That is not in Mastering the Art of French Cooking. So with content, there's too much of it. So you have to ask yourself, what can you and you alone create? Not what can you make, 
to look like what everyone else is creating because it makes you feel better, but what do your customers actually need? From here, we head over to community. The people that will help us create this content and the people who it's for. I talk a lot in my work about how you should embrace your people power, both internally and externally. And we can do this by thinking of our community as concentric circles. You want to start internally with your employees and look for ways to transform them into better brand ambassadors. Spiceworks, which is an IT consulting platform, has a brand camp that their employees go through when they're hired to help them understand everything that we've been talking about, the customer, the brand voice, what they mean. There's only an 8% overlap between employees and employers' social connection, and on average, employees have 10 times more. Lorraine Barber Miller, the CMO of ADP, noted that our associates are our best brand ambassadors, worth the time, because we know that happy employees help us create those happy customers. But before we move on to that outer circle, it's important to not skip over a forgotten middle circle of our vendors and other strategic partners. Because 60% of us B2B marketers outsource some aspect of our content marketing. For example, I occasionally do webinars for Buffer, and they sent me a bag with a bunch of their swag in it, shirts, stickers, fun things, but they also sent me this card that can go at my desk that has their brand values on it. And all of a sudden, me, a strategic partner, is now a little more tuned in to what it means to represent this brand. As we move on to the outer circles, Salesforce is a master at this with their massive Dreamforce event, which takes over San Francisco. And while they have former presidents and rock stars as speakers, a majority of the speakers at Dreamforce are their best customers telling their story to the outer circles of other customers. So all of these circles working together, it creates a kind of gravity around your brand. So with community, you have to ask yourself, how well do you know your circles and how can you get to know them better? From community, we go to clarity. And with clarity, we go back to the dictionary definition because there's actually two meanings, clearness or lucidity as to perception, quality of being clear or transparent to the eye. So basically, transparency and simplicity. Take both of those because they're both important today if you want to stand out. Starting with transparency, which we as marketers don't have an awesome track record with, just look back to the history of cigarette advertising. There's a problem with the research. Oh, just, just advertise over it. Today we can't do that because of this little internet thing. As David Srary of Siegel and Gale notes, today, if you lie, you die. You can't say fly the friendly skies when you're breaking guitars and bloodily dragging people off of flights. Or duct tape, other airline. Same type of story. You have to be consistent in what you say 
and what you do. Patagonia is proactively transparent. They know they're a clothing manufacturer, but through their footprint chronicles, they demonstrate the impact that they're having on the environment. From transparency, we move to simplicity and see that there's been a 44% increase in the perception of simplicity among the most innovative brands globally. This tells us that simple is important, but if we rewind back to the beginning, we also say that fewer people say they understand brands. These two points are connected because we use all of these tools to turn everything way up to 11 with our content, with our brands, with our marketing, with our messages. More isn't always better. Sometimes more is just more. Look at Google. Why are they a leader? It's not because they were there first. It's not because they did, their algorithm did something that others didn't do. It's because they knew their people. They understood what they wanted. They subtracted everything else, the pop-ups, the banner ads, the news stories, the weather, all of it. So where can you simplify your brand name, your promise, products, services, website navigation, your content strategy? Basecamp simplified. Product, project management software for creatives. And from this grew several other tools, like a CRM, other forms of contact management, and other tools. But they realized that through all of this, that their core brand, their essence, was getting muddled. So recently, they backed out of everything else and focused on their core product. Because they know that transparent, simple brands move faster. So ask yourself with clarity, where can you close the gaps between what you say and what you do? Where can you simplify? And finally, we have experience, which is all around us, sometimes even in roadside attractions. Now, as a speaker, sometimes over the summer, if there's an event like this nearby, I pack up the kids, my wife and I, we take them along, make a little vacation out of it. And we did this once with a speaking engagement that I had in Minneapolis. We were driving back after the event, heading south on I-35 through southern Minnesota. It's that kind of depressing part of any vacation. It's the ride back. Everybody's kind of tired of each other, out of stuff to do. When all of a sudden, on the horizon, I saw a sign that said, Spam Museum. Come see great porks of art. My wife and I knowingly looked at each other and said, we don't have anywhere to be. We're bored, tired. The world is our oyster. Today is the day we visit the Spam Museum. And we learned upon arrival that this is the second Spam Museum. The first was overrun with visitors, so they had to build a bigger, better Spam Museum. And that is what this is. It looks like the Times Square of Spam. Great big rotating signs, a rotating Spam can. They have uh, exhibits on the wall showing how Spam is made. Not nearly as mysterious as you might think. They have exhibits where kids can put little bean bags of Spam into those little square containers. They have hallways, hallways dedicated to how Spam is used in the world. Apparently, the Spanish omelet is a thing to our friends across the pond. And of course, I exited through the gift shop, 
with a couple of t-shirts, a coffee mug, and even a can of Spam. I bring this up not because I'm what the young people might call a Spam stan, but rather to point out, if Spam can do this, Shouldn't we be able to as B2B marketers? Again, we talked about Dreamforce, certainly a spam museum level event. HubSpot does something similar with inbound. And what I love about that is that they take that concept of inbound marketing and you walk into what that means. 70% of us believe that investing in experience is key. Shoe drop. But only 13% of us believe that we're actually any good at it. And this disparity should matter because 80% will stop using a brand after one bad experience. 72% would recommend family and friends stop too. Not only take big action on this, we get noisy about it. So we have to remember to walk a mile in our customers' shoes. No, I'm not proposing the Atticus Finch School of Marketing here, but rather the Justine Jordan School of Marketing. Justine was the VP of Brand Experience at Litmus, and she told me that every month or so, she'd clean out all of her cookies, start a new fresh browser, and would audit the brand experience touch point by touch point. She'd become a lead. She'd go through all of these different steps all over again to see if there were any steps that they were missing along the way. And from that, you can create a brand touch point map. You can use circles to help here too, starting in the center with your core brand DNA, out to your products, services, through your various touch points, even the five senses because your experience and why it's important is that it is your brand promise, your meaning that we've been talking about this whole time delivered. So ask yourself with experience, what do your circles look like after you've walked a mile in your customer's shoes? Experience brings us to the end of our journey. We have the seven brand now dynamics in front of us and before I close, I have a little bit of housekeeping. One last reminder, all of these slides, a summary, if you'd like this in written form, uh, at nickwestergaard.com forward slash slides, as well as some of the other interviews that I've talked about. Paul Cowan of FreshBooks, I hear they just hit uh, a billion today, so neat news and good on them. But also, if, if you want to talk more about this, I will be at the Marketing Profs booth in the meeting area tomorrow at breakfast. We'll have copies of my book. Happy to answer any questions. Talk about this more. And you may have questions because I've talked about these seven dynamics and you may be wondering, okay, what, what now? Well, I, I have the biggest bit of news to bum you out at the very end of this. There's nothing that I can say at the front of the room after 45 minutes that can lead you to go out from here and say, hey, you know what I learned in there? I can check that branding thing off our list. We're good to go. Because it's always happening. It's never done. And now we have seven dynamics to manage. And while I note here that this is your job as you oversee brand experience and start to think about this, I'll also point out 
that you're more like a director of a movie, like a conductor of a symphony, overseeing these disparate areas. And you're also not alone. Another FreshBooks example, they have a brand council, a cross-functional group that helps them make decisions about the brand and what it stands for. And it's been especially critical as they've navigated COVID and worked to stay in touch with the voice of the small business owner who is their customer. This could sound somewhat sacrilegious at a sales and marketing event, but for brand to grow, to thrive, it has to exist outside of the marketing department. I've asked you to ask yourself lots of questions, but if I get two more, it's really one question with two parts. I would say consider where are you now and where do you want to be? Where are you now as a brand and where do you want to be? Because there aren't easy checklists, but what your brand is, is the answer to that last question. Where do you want to be? Your brand is a flag that you plant in the ground and try to get as close to every day. Basecamp, in that example I talked about earlier, realized maybe we're drifting away from the flag that we planted and what we stand for to the creatives that we serve. Disney, who we think of as a remarkable brand at delivering magical experiences, even has a plan for what happens when you check into the resort and your room's not ready. You get a pile of fast passes, some extra time, and a chocolate Mickey that's customized. Because even they know that they're gonna fall short of that flag. But it's our job to plant it and move towards it, bit by bit, day by day. That's how you build a standout brand now. Thank you very much. See you at the reception and tomorrow morning as well. All right, folks, that's a wrap on Nick. And come on, wasn't that session fantastic? I mean, Nick's energy just can't be beat. And the way he explained the seven brand now dynamics, which are meaning, structure, story, content, community, clarity, and experience. Um, I just I just thought that was just really inspiring. So I hope you got some great takeaways to, to develop your own standout brand. Um, it's honestly really important now as we continue to compete for audiences' attention in this crowded digital first world. Uh, yeah, so that is also a wrap on me, obviously. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in to our first episode of 2022. Of course, make sure you're subscribed to the pod on your streaming service of choice so you don't miss any new episodes. And hit us up on social media with any feedback you have. Uh, next week's episode is, is going to be a really, really good one, guys. So don't miss it. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you then. Take care.